Good evening, my name is Jeff, and uh, we've come to the last in our four-week series on expressive individualism. Now, as I've said each time, this is not like a normal Chesswood Presbyterian Church talk. Normally, here at Chesswood Presbyterian Church, we just take the book of the, take a book of the Bible and work our way through. And uh, next week, do please come next week for Matt Telfer's licensing. He'll be preaching on, uh, uh, is it Luke? Where, where's Matt? Luke's, Luke's Gospel. And then after that, we're going to start a new series on the book of Leviticus. Okay, it's going to be great fun. Really, I'm looking forward to it very, very much. Uh, but uh, this evening is not like a normal talk. Normally, we, we take a book of the Bible, read the Bible, try to understand what it means, try to apply it to ourselves through Jesus. This talk is different. Instead of starting with the Bible, we're starting with this topic, this topic of expressive individualism. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, do please help us. Now, as we think about this topic of expressive individualism, help us to understand how we might have been impacted on and help us to think Think better. Help us to think uh, in the way that, uh, in a way that is true, and is in a way that is in, in line with your word. Help us, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our first talk, you remember that we uh, thought about what expressive individualism is, and we looked at uh, this definition from the book *The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self* by Carl Truman. So, the real identity of an individual—how to find who you truly are—you have to look inside yourself, look into your inner psychological autobiography, and then. To live authentically, to live your best life, to live a life that will make you happy and, and to be true to yourself, you have to behave outwardly in accordance with who you think you are on the inside. Okay, that's expressive individualism. That was talk number one. Talk number two, then, we looked at the Christian alternative. Thought about, well, what's, what's a Christian view of identity? And we saw you don't just look inside, but in all kinds of directions. So you can look inside and you'll see that you're a unique individual made body and soul, and made in the image of God. It's called individual identity. But we don't just have an individual identity, we also have a relational identity. As we look around, we can see that we are who we are in relationship, in relationship with other people and with God. And also we have what philosophers call a narrative identity. That is, as we look backwards to our story and forwards to our future and our hopes and our dreams, we can see that I am who I am because of my story, and because of Jesus' story. That was talk number two, a Christian view of identity. And then last week, in talk number three, we compared and contrasted expressive individualism and Christian identity. We saw four big differences. Uh, firstly, where do you look for your identity? Expressive individualism says, look inside. But Christianity gives a much richer picture. You look inside, you look around, and you look backwards and forwards. Uh, secondly, how do you look for your identity? In expressive individualism, it's your autobiography. You create your own identity. But in, in Christian thinking, we discover who God made us to be from, from his word and from reality, the reality that God has made. Then the third big distinction we saw between expressive individualism and Christian identity was how you should live out your identity. Expressive individualism says, live outwardly who you are on the inside. But Christian theology says, no, you need to live to please the God who loves you. And then the fourth and final contrast that we saw was about how to live together. Expressive individualism says that society and everything else should help us to express who we are, should facilitate our flourishing as we live authentically. But Christian theology says that society and, and church and God should, should help us to live godly lives in peace and justice. There is a whole different worldview that underlies these two concepts of who we truly are. And last week we thought about 
If we understand these different worldviews, how will it help us to engage with our culture? And we say, well, it might help us to, to understand how we are perceived, why it is that our society now perceives us as being oppressive and repressed and, 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 and angry and hateful. And also we thought about how we might therefore share, and particularly we talked about how we might share the richer identity and the better story that Jesus offers, that that would be a good way to engage with our culture. Now, as we've seen, expressive individualism and Christian identity are vastly different. Two entirely different worldviews. And so you might expect that Christians are immune to expressive individualism, that we're not influenced by it. But as we've seen over these last few weeks, expressive individualism, it's not, it's not something that is presented as a philosophy and then you agree with it or disagree with it. Now, most people have never even heard of expressive individualism. I'd never heard of it before we started this series, and uh, you probably hadn't either. This is not something that's taught in a classroom so much. No, no, this is something that for the last 200 years of Western history and Western literature, it is something that's become so ubiquitous that this is something you find everywhere to the point where people now just assume that it's true. They think that it's self-evident. Uh, author Rory Shiner puts this very well, he says this. He says, we're not argued into expressive individualism, we are formed into it. To live in modern Australia is to be a part of a relentless discipleship program. I think it's a really neat way to say it. To live in modern Australia is to be a part of a relentless discipleship program. Every Pixar and Disney film, every graduation speech, every new novel and Netflix series is 100% on point your purpose in life is to find the true inner you and then to express that to the world and God is framed out. We Christians live in our culture. We, we work and, and we, we play and we, we watch TV and so without even thinking about it, without even realising it, we can imbibe the ideas of expressive individualism. We can start to believe expressive individualistic ideas without even realising it and not even seeing how they contradict with Christian truth. And so that's what we're going to look at in our last talk this evening. In what ways might we be influenced by expressive individualism? Do you get what we're thinking about? What's the influence of expressive individualism on you and me? Now, first point I want to make is this. There are some good things in expressive individualism. There are some things that are true, some things that match up with what the Bible says. Let me give you a couple of examples. First, the idea that you can learn true things about yourself from looking within. Our true identity is who we think we are on the inside. There's something true about that. It's not the whole truth, we've seen that, but it is part of the truth. We are individuals. We're not just relationships or a story. We are, we exist as separate entities and we can and we should look inside ourselves. We should do introspection, it's called. We should introspect. Uh, there are lots of examples of introspection in the Bible. Let me just give, give one. It's from the last book that we studied, 2 Corinthians, from the last chapter that we studied. So the, the, the last talk before we got to this called for introspection. The Apostle Paul called on the Corinthians to look inside themselves, he said. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
So you can learn true things about yourself by looking inside, important truths about who you are. There's one thing that we can agree with in expressive individualism. And secondly, there is also something in the idea that there is an authenticity about your external behaviour matching your inward reality. There is an authenticity about having them match. Now, the Bible often speaks against hypocrisy. That is where you pretend to be one thing on the outside, but you're something different on the inside. You're actually hiding who you are. For example, Jesus criticizes the religious leaders of his day. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like, notice this, the outside versus the inside. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, of course, Jesus is not saying to these leaders, you ought to be authentic by expressing outwardly who you really are on the inside. That's not what he's saying. He's calling on them to repent and change who they are on the inside. But the point remains, there is an authenticity in being the same on the outside as you are on the inside. You get that point? That's something that we can agree with in expressive individualism. There are some things we can agree with, some things in line with biblical thinking, but there are lots of ways that expressive individualism has been an unhelpful influence on Christians. I'm sure there are many examples. I suspect we're infected by this way more than we realise. I talked, for example, a couple of weeks ago about how we get tricked into buying expensive brand name things. So the way branding works now, uh, you've got a handbag, for example. You don't tell people about what's good about the handbag, you know, that it's made of a certain material and it's got good zips and it, it holds good things and it's got lots of something like that. No, no, what you do is you, you say, this handbag is an Hermes. And an Hermes, if you carry it, will make you sophisticated. And, uh, and, uh, and, and everybody will think how beautiful you are or something like that, all right? Uh, and so we've come to think that having a certain brand will express to the world that we have a particular identity. And we're told that's going to fix our lives and make us happy. I believe we are tricked by modern branding and we ought to realise it. If you wear a diver watch, it doesn't make you a diver. If you drive a four-wheel drive, it doesn't make you an outdoor adventurer. If you wear Jimmy Choo shoes or carry an Hermes handbag, it does not make you tasteful or sophisticated. If you wear gander, it doesn't make you a hippie. If you wear rip curl or billabong, it doesn't make you a surfy. All these branding ideas, they're tricks. They're tricks to get you to pay more money for things than they're worth. Now, in one sense, it's no big deal. If you want to enjoy expensive stuff with thanks to God, good on you, no big deal. But just realise that the whole branding thing, that brands express to the world some true identity that you have, it's, it's all a lie. It's deception. That's one example. Not such a big deal. But let me give you three more examples. And these ones, I think, are a big deal. These are three ways that expressive individualism has crept very unhelpfully into modern Christian thinking. Uh, way number one. The first way... Expressive individualism has changed the way that modern Christians think about God. We think about God differently from how people did 200 years ago. 
Expressive individualism says, I am at the centre and external entities, including God, they exist to enable me to live my best life. They exist to enable me to be who I am. They exist to, to facilitate my flourishing. In his book, Christless Christianity, Michael Horton surveys the theology of American evangelicalism and he says that it's become this. It's no longer what the Bible teaches. He says it has now become moralistic, therapeutic deism. Let me explain those words. Uh, deism, deism is the idea that there's a God, but he's not involved intimately in your life. Now, now deism, you know that song, uh, God is watching us from a distance? That's, that's deism. God is off there in the distance. Uh, moralism, that's the idea that you please God by being good. If you're a nice person, God will love you and accept you. And therapeutic, and this is the key word, Therapeutic is the idea that God shows us his love by giving us nice lives, by being like our therapist, helping us to be happy, helping us to flourish, healing us, making us healthy and and whole. And so you put it all together, and this is what Michael Horton says American evangelicalism is all about. If I am good, God will give me a nice life. If we're good... God will give us nice lives. Horton puts it this way. This alternative gospel is a message of moralism, personal comfort, self-help, self-improvement, and individualistic religion. And then notice this. It trivializes God, making him a means to our selfish ends. Can you see the influence of expressive individualism on this way of thinking? Behind this theology are these assumptions. My goal is to be happy. And here's the important thing, and God exists to make me happy. Now, when I put it in stark terms like that, I'm sure we all shake our heads and disagree with moralistic therapeutic deism, but I think we are deeply influenced by it. I'm convinced that deep down we do think that if we're good, then God will be happy with us and give us nice lives. And I see this all the time. I had a conversation with a man this week. He said to me, he said to me, I've tried so hard to serve God. Why is he treating me like this? I cannot and will not believe in God when, after he's, he's allowed me to suffer so much. How can God be a God of love if he's allowed me to suffer like this? Friends, let me lay it out for you. The chances that you will suffer and die are 100%. You can be absolutely certain that you will have miserable things happen to you and then you will die. And if you only believe in a God who doesn't let you be miserable and die, then you have got 100% chance of your faith failing. Expressive individualism has unhelpfully influenced the modern view of God. God does not exist to serve you. God does not exist to make you happy. God does not exist for your self-actualization. No, no, you exist to bring glory to God. It's a big difference, isn't it? Massive difference. Brings us to our second point. 
Expressive individualism has influenced our view of God. But secondly, a second way that expressive individualism has had an unhelpful influence on modern Christian thinking is in this way. It's, it's on the purpose of church. We think differently about church than people did 200 years ago. Once again, expressive individualism says, I'm at the centre. My best life is lived when I express outwardly who I truly am on the inside and any other identity, any other entity, including the church, exists to enable me to live my best life. Carl Truman reckons you see this in all kinds of aspects of church life. Uh, firstly, he says, you see expressive individualism in modern forms of worship at church. We worship today, Carl Truman reckons, to make ourselves feel good, to give ourselves a buzz, rather than to bow the knee before a holy God. Let me quote from him. Here's the key question to ask. Why do we worship? Not we as in some abstracted notion of the people of God, but we as individuals. Do we worship to be made to feel good? Or do we worship as a response to the being and work of a holy God and thereby conform ourselves and, our understand, and understand our experiences and feelings in light of that God? Unless it is the latter, then we are allowing our own complicity in expressive individualism to drive our worship. I keep hearing people tell me this same thing. They say, oh, Chatsworth Presbyterian Church, I, I, I like the teaching. But... I go to church because I love the worship. What do they mean by that? What do they mean by that? I suspect they mean as I sing songs over and over again until I roll my eyes into the back of my head, I get a buzz. Now, I'm not saying that worship is any worse than our worship where we rock in 15 minutes late and don't sing and don't concentrate and we're thinking about something completely different. I'm not saying that we're any better... What I am saying is that worship is not about us feeling good. Worship about, is about us understanding the holiness and purity and perfection of God and being terrified at the thought that we sinners deserve his eternal judgment and then being blown away by the idea that this God would love us and give his son to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven and accepted. Worship should blow us away with the gospel and we should bow the knee to God in worship. Not about us, it's about him. That's not just worship, though. Carl Truman also reckons you see it in people's commitment to church. Now, the idea is, the, is this. In expressive individualism, church exists to meet my needs, to entertain me, to occupy and to satisfy my children, and if I'm not happy, I'll go somewhere else. Carl Truman puts it this way. Church membership vows if you join a church, or to be solemn and serious. And yet how many are routinely broken as people move from one church to the next for the most trivial of reasons? Again, this is expressive individualism, manifesting itself as a form of religious consumerism. If there's something I don't like in church, maybe it's the pastor's choice of tie or lack of tie, maybe it's the hymn book or the order of service, or maybe it's just the fact that the initial buzz of being a new member has faded away, I can move on to somewhere else that suits my tastes better. As our church gets bigger, assuming that God continues to grow us, this is something we need to be aware of. When our church was small, 
Some of you will remember, we all needed to pitch in and help. When we were only, you know, 50, 60, 70 people, everybody was on every roster every week, pretty much. Now, things might not have been as slick and professional as they sometimes are now, but people had a real sense of participation and of ownership. For example, I think of one of our elders. Many years ago, his boys started high school and there was no youth group here. So what did he do? Did he say, oh, well, I'm off to the big church down the road where there's a youth group that will suit my family and my children? No, no. He said, I'm a member of Chatsworth Presbyterian Church. My boys need a youth group. I will start a youth group. And that's what he did. The danger with being a bigger church is that people come to be spectators. They come to hear a nice sermon and have their kids and youth well looked after and enjoy a nice cup of tea after church and then go home. And if they don't like it, if the sermon's not good enough or the program isn't good enough or the tea isn't nice enough, they'll go elsewhere to find a better product. And so church becomes more like a ferry ride than a dragon boat. Have you heard Warren talk about that, the ferry ride versus the dragon boat? The ferry ride where everyone's a passenger or the dragon boat where everyone's in there pulling their weight. Our friends, church doesn't exist to entertain you. Church doesn't exist to make you happy. Church doesn't exist to further your self-actualization. Church exists for you to submit yourself to God and serve his people. Church exists that we serve each other in love so that we grow in the maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 4 says, as each part does its work. Don't come to be a consumer. Come to be a servant. I should just say, as, as an aside, that uh, this backfired on me this morning because there was a, a new family who came from another church and uh, I said to them, oh, where are you at church? And they said, I'm at this church. And I said, and are you thinking of coming to Chatswood? And they said, well, not anymore. <laughs> now we're going to go back and commit ourselves to our church. <laughs> oh, well, good on them. Good on them. Uh, we see expressive individualism in our worship and in our commitment to church. One other way that Cal Truman reckons expressive individualism has influenced the modern church is this, and it's in our view of the authority of the church. Truman puts it this way. This perhaps finds its most dramatic outworking in church government and discipleship. The expressive individual is the sovereign individual. All other relationships to other people, to institutions, to those who hold office in such institutions is subordinate to the personal needs and feelings of me as an individual. Thus, I can choose whether to acknowledge their authority. I can choose what my commitment to them should involve and how I should treat any counsel they give me. I decide how I should respond to any attempt to rebuke or discipline me. I am the sovereign arbiter of what is good for me. Everybody else can practically give me nothing more than pious advice based on their opinion. Do you come here to listen to pious advice? Advice you, you can take or leave, depending on whether it suits you. Or do you come here to submit yourself to the word of God? Do you come to humbly sit under the word of the God who created the universe, ready to believe, ready to obey? Do you get the distinction? 
Again, it's important, isn't it? It's a whole different way of thinking what church is all about. Okay, our worship, our commitment, our sense of authority. These are ways that expressive individualism has infected our thinking about church. We have a whole different picture of church today than people had 200 years ago. Whole different picture of God, whole different picture of church. Brings us to our third point. Third point, final point. It's the third way that expressive individualism has unhelpfully influenced us, and, and that's in our thinking about repentance. Our thinking about repentance. As we've seen, expressive individualism says the purpose of life is to be happy, and if you can express outwardly who you are inwardly, you'll live an authentic, joyful life, and that's what it's all about. According to God, that is not what it's all about. According to God, the purpose of your life is to please him. From 2 Corinthians, again, the last book we studied, the Apostle Paul writes, we make it our goal to please the Lord, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In our passage today, live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Friend, God wants you to pursue holiness, not happiness. God wants you to live for him, not for yourself. And what that means is this. It means that true Christianity goes in completely the opposite direction to expressive individualism. They go in totally opposite directions. Let me explain what I mean. Expressive individualism says, find out who I am on the inside and express out, change my outward behavior to conform to who I am on the inside. That's going to make me authentic. But Jesus calls us to change who we are on the inside. Jesus says, who you are on the inside is a rebellious sinner. Jesus says, your heart, your inside is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And what you need for your inside is to be forgiven and changed from within. See how it's the opposite direction? Expressive individualism says change the outside to match the inside. Jesus says you've got to change your inner identity. You need to, the word he uses is, repent. And then your behaviour should flow from your repentance and faith in Jesus as your king. Friends, in practice, what it means is this. This is how a Christian today is different from a Christian 200 years ago. Christians today, like our society find it very, very hard to take any criticism. Christians today take criticism of their behaviour as an attack on their identity. And we, we, we so long to be affirmed in who we are that we find any call to repentance offensive. But friends, if the goal of life is holiness and not happiness, if it's all about God and not you, you need to be expect to be constantly called to repentance. You need to be expect to be constantly criticised. You need to be expect to be constantly told that who you are on the inside needs to change. It's not about conforming our, inner, our outer identity to our inner identity. It's about conforming our inner identity to who God wants us to be. And friends, this, I think, explains what's really going on in why churches are so criticised now, whether that be for being against homosexuals or against transgender people or against whatever. I keep hearing the same thing from people inside and outside the church. 
Why can't we just accept people as they are? Why can't we, why can't we just love people as they are? Why are we so negative and judgmental? Why do we reject people? Why can't we just allow people to be who they are on the inside? The answer is the same for a homosexual person as it is for a transgender person. The answer is the same as it is for a greedy person or a selfish person or a liar or a thief or a lazy person or an anxious person. The answer is the same as it is for you. The answer is the same as it is for me. The answer, why are we so critical? Why don't we just accept people as they are? Because in our hearts, in our inner selves, we reject God. We refuse to live with him as king. We refuse to worship him and honour and obey him as he deserves. And all these things, which the Bible calls sin, are a function of that rejection, of that inner person rejection of God. Who we are on the inside needs to change. The message of Jesus is a call to repentance for all of us. We all need to turn from self, from sin, turn in faith to Jesus as Saviour and King and then live outwardly, not who we are on the inside, live outwardly the new life that Jesus gives us by his Holy Spirit. All the while waiting for him to return and to transform us on the inside completely. So we'll joyfully serve him and worship him and obey him forever. Can you see how it's the opposite direction completely from expressive individualism? It's not change the outward behaviour to match who you are on the inside. No, no, no. Jesus changes who we are on the inside and that then will change our behaviour. All right, three very significant ways that we Christians are impacted by expressive individualism in our view of God. Does he exist for you or do you exist for him? In our view of church, do you worship for your good as a religious consumer, listening to advice that you can take or leave? Or do you commit yourself to church, worship God and bow the knee to his word? And in our view of repentance, Jesus calls us to change who we are on the inside. Big differences, aren't they? Well, friends, that brings us to the end of this short series, but I don't want to end on a negative note. What I want to end with is this. The Christian picture of identity is glorious. It's true, confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus, and it is rich and it is beautiful. Looking inside yourself, you're not going to find your truest identity. Looking to Jesus is where you will find your truest and best identity. It is there that you'll find an accurate appraisal of who you truly are. Amazing, fearfully and wonderfully made, in the image of God, but also profoundly flawed. And it is there you will find the magnificent, eternal identity that Jesus gives. It is in the Lord Jesus that you will find yourself to be deeply loved and forgiven, and accepted, a child of God, looking forward to seeing him face to face and and, and being changed and serving him forever. It is a rich and beautiful and true picture. And friends, that's the sense that I hope you've been left with at the end of this series. The identity we have in Jesus, it is so much better, so much richer than what our culture offers. It's truer, it's more glorious, and it's forever.
Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your wonderful mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through his life and death and resurrection, we are being changed. We've been forgiven and accepted, and you're transforming us by your Holy Spirit into the people you want us to be. And we thank you that the day is coming when we'll be fully transformed and we will love you and delight in you forever. Lord, this is a gracious, wonderful, beautiful privilege that you would love us and give us this identity. Help us to be thrilled by it and help us to shine that light to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.